We're going to continue today, uh, continue talking about Lent, um, continue talking and focusing on not just the joy of our salvation, but the suffering that is endured by Christ, as well as that we are asked to share in. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to recap Lent for us, because we talked about that last week. So for those of you who weren't here last week, or for those of you like me that forget things week to week, um, I want to take a quick moment just to remind us uh, of the truth of, of what Lent means, right? What it's, what it, what it's, ca- what it's meant to cause in us. Sorry, I keep moving stuff because I keep, you find I'm either going to trip over it or I can't see people through it. So, um, so we talked about last, last week about Lent. Lent is a season, okay? It's a season, a time not, not uh, required by the church, but a, te- a time for, that is meant to benefit you, meant to benefit those people of the church. And that time is meant for us to, to, to kind of step back from our, our normal life and, and to think more, to dwell more on the sufferings of Christ. Okay? We're in that time before the victory. We know that Easter is, is, the, is this big victory that we, that we stand on in our Christian faith. That Easter represents the, the victory of Christ over sin and death. And this is a time where we step, we step back from that. We step those, those days back from it and the time of, of, of Christ's uh, time, time on earth before the, the victory, and we get to see, kind of focus on his sufferings and, and, and what that means for us. So it's between this inauguration of, of him as king on the cross and um, between, between that and the fulfillment of him coming when he returns as well. So this is, this is also a time where we, where we are kind of in between, which we're in between right now, right? We look back on the cross but we still look forward to him coming again to reign as king. And so we, we, we understand that tension, not just because it existed before the cross, but because we still exist in a, in a sort of tension now uh, between cross and, and him reigning as king. So we look back, we look back on Isaiah 53 that we talked about last week, where he's despised and rejected by men. Right? We, see, we see Christ coming to the earth, and, 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 it's, and we knew him not the scriptural language. We didn't know him. We didn't recognize him for who he was, right? So we, we think about that, and we think about the, the suffering he endured, the mockery that he endured of him, the, the creator God, walking around earth with these, these people that he has put his image on in creating us, and them mocking him, them spitting on him, them calling him the devil, right? There's a, we should feel that, that, that anguish there of the creator God who, who poured himself out in love for us being, being ridiculed. His suffering was great. So we look forward to the expectation of the day. Six weeks down the road, right? Six, well, not, not anymore. Six weeks from the start of land. Five weeks down the road, and we get to leave that grave behind. We get to leave the suffering behind, and we get to share in the victory of our, of our Savior. It's already been kind of a couple, a heavy couple of weeks for me as I, as I study it. Um, there's a there's a weight to it that, that you can't escape, right? A weight to the to the a weight to the waiting. But even as even as I study and even as I make some deliberate choices in my life of, of what to think about or what to what to dwell on or what to study, um, even even with that, there's still the hope, right? There's still the hope. That's inside of me because I live on this side of the cross. Because I live after the cross. So there's still a hope even in the shadow. 
Scripture would put it this way, that I don't grieve like those who grieve without hope. Right? Right? The world grieves because it's terrible. We grieve because it's terrible, but we have hope in the grieving. Because we know, we know he is coming again. And so because of that, because of that hope, I can step into the suffering. I can step into and study the suffering, and I can feel the weight of it, but then I can rejoice in this living hope that Christ is, a living hope, right? So today, you know what? I forgot to grab that clicker. Is that clicker back there, Carol? What do I got to point at here? Oh, that's going to help? That little great thing? Ah, yeah, okay. This, this is our passage for today. So, again, I'm going to step back, and I, I'd like, you all, like us all to read this together. It's Luke 9, 23 through 27. And uh, let's read this together. This is our passage we're going to be coming out of today. Luke 9, 23 through 27. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord God, how truly firm a foundation that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. God, you have given us so many gifts. You've given us your word. You've given us your Holy Spirit to enlighten our eyes to the, to the meaning of this word and to, the, to the, the beauty of the glory of Christ. And it's on that Holy Spirit, Lord, that we ask a blessing today. Lord, that you, in your grace and your mercy and your love for us, would show us the truth of your word. The glory of Christ what we have been called to because of what you have done for us. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you. Come, Lord Jesus, now. Teach our hearts. Teach our, open our eyes to your word and change us for your glory. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So these can kind of look like some hard words from Jesus. Right? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. They're not alone. They're not alone in the description of what it means to follow Christ. If you remember last week, we talked about Luke 14, 14, 26, where it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Those are hard words. Hard words. Bold statements. They're not very catchy marketing schemes, right? Talked about this last week. This isn't a, this isn't a, uh, a worldly marketing scheme, right? Con, you know, this, I, I try to think of a couple. I, I, wrote down, I wrote down one. 
I don't even know if I'm going to say it so bad, but uh, I wrote down one. I was just trying to think of, you know, what would the, how would the world market this, okay? So the world, you know, marketing, so much marketing is just taking, taking the, the negative aspects and kind of pushing them out and emphasizing the, the, the positive aspects, right? And sometimes even lying to do it, right? No, yes, all right? Yeah, it happens, right? So what, the one, this is the one I came up with, ready? All right. Come get an easy peasy Jesus squeezy. Yeah? yeah? That's good. Yeah. I chuckled when I wrote it, so. Uh, that's all that matters, I guess. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll work on a little jingle. Yeah. Um, but that's not what it is. That's not what this is. That's not the message that we have here, and it definitely is not the tone of the message that we have here at all. It's a very serious tone, isn't it? It's a life and death serious tone. But the message is clear. This message is, first of all, it's for everyone, for anyone who would come, anyone. So it's broad, it's, it's, it's all reaching. And it says that what we must do, what they must do for those who want to follow, they must deny themselves. They must take up their cross. So what is Jesus' marketing slogan? It's come, die, live. Right? Come, die, live. That's the marketing slogan. A little less splashy, but it's full of truth and it's full of reality. And church, we do not need any more worldly, deceitful slogans to mislead us. It's not what we need. Jesus is clear. If you want life, if you want life in Christ, you have to lose your life. You have to lose your life for his sake. Which means denying yourself and taking up your cross. So what does that mean? What does this mean to deny yourself and take up your cross? Well, denying yourself is, is pretty understandable, right? We can understand what that means. Um, it's not easy. Not easy at all. Uh, and even po impossible, aside from a grace-filled obedience. But it's easily understood. It's denying your right to something. Denying your right to something. We understand it in small settings, right? Like, I want this last cookie, but I will deny myself and give it to my wife. Knowing that she's going to deny it and give it back to me. Yeah. Sometimes we work that way, right? But knowing I will, knowing I will deny myself and I will give it up for her. Or I deserve this money I've earned, but I will deny myself the extra things that I could buy with it and instead give it to someone in need. Again, easily understood, but not always easily practiced. But the self-denial here is tied to something bigger, isn't it? Something bigger. Denying yourself goes right along with taking up your cross. Deny yourself and take up your cross. It's a package deal. It's a package deal. It's not or, it's and. Two separate distinctions, one reality. If you want to follow me, two separate distinctions, one reality. Christ is Lord. Christ is Lord. I'm not my own anymore. I'm not my own Lord anymore. 
So let's look at them separately and see what we're called to. First, deny yourself. Deny yourself. I'm called to deny my own desires, my ungodly chasing after earthly things. This is a call to give up chasing after those things that we would value more than God. Think about these in two main ways. First, there's the material thing. There's the material thing, right? And we get that. Things like money, that car, that house, this American dream, these things that are gonna, I think are going to make me happy. Right? There's that material possession. Then there's also the spiritual things, like that man or that woman that will complete me, or the comfort that we think will come from wealth. On the flip side, the comfort that we think will come from not working hard or from just, just letting things come to me. Letting these good things just, just come as I wait and do nothing. The approval of people. The fulfillment of that sexual desire that's outside of God's <laughs> prescribed bounds. I wish I could convince you of the emptiness of those things. I wish I could. But according to Scripture, these are the things that our flesh, the sin in us, chases after. It's the things that the world chases after without inhibition, in which God says, don't. Don't chase after them. Don't chase after them. Romans 1.25 talks about it this way. It says that they worshipped and served created things instead of the Creator. And that's what we do. That's what we do. That's what, that's what this is. It's chasing after earthly things. It's, it's worshiping. It's giving our all for created things that are going to one day just pass away instead of following our Creator. These are the things we're to deny ourselves. This is, what the worship, this is the worship that God calls us out of. The worship of these things, these earthly things, is what we're called out of and to worship Him. Ephesians 4, 22-24 says, uh, this is what it instructs us. It instructs us to put off. Okay, these are, this is the biblical language. To put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desire. And instead, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Deny yourself. Put off the old self, the old ways, the old desires, those things are death or they lead to death. <clears throat> if I could convince you of this, I would. Holy Spirit, do this work because this is we, we need to see these things. We need to see the death that, of the things that the world chases after and that our hearts are prone to chase after as well. It leads to death, spiritual death. So just as we're told to take something off, we're also told to put something on. The biblical principle is always that when we take something off, we have to put something on. Okay? God does not desire us to be spiritually naked. All right? If we think about it as clothes. If we're going to take one thing off, if we're going to take off um, our, our uniform that marked us as part of, of this group of people, we're now going to put on things that mark us with, with Christ. Okay? So if we think about it in that clothes, in that clothes uh, picture, we're going to put off what we've got to put on. You've got to put on. You can't just put off and then just think you're good. 
Okay, there's got to be a putting on of new things. That's the biblical principle. The biblically, it's, that's how the Bible uh, phrases and, and pictures this. So this next verse, next verse, after we deny, next verse, what do we pick up? Deny yourself, pick up your cross daily. Pick up your cross. Now, to the first century reader, especially, who would have been reading this originally, that's a lot of, a lot, that's a picture, isn't it? It's a picture. Uh, it, it evokes a lot of imagery, a lot of things associated with the cross. Uh, you know, the cross then was not something that you put on a chain and hang around your neck. It's quite the opposite. It was a terrible, shameful, the amount of shame associated with the cross. Shameful, disgusting thing. The Romans used to line the roads into a city with these crosses at times. Shaming these people, shaming their families, shaming them for going against the authority. The shame was heavy. And we're invited here in this command to pick up your cross, take up your cross. We're invited to share in the shame, the same shame that Christ did. Same shame that he endured as he carried the cross up the hill to Calvary. And being told to take it up daily, we're being told that we are to associate ourselves with Christ. To associate ourselves with Christ. Yes, this means denial, just like the beginning of the verse said. It must mean that. But it also means that if we are to pick up our cross, we must lay stuff down as well. Right? We must lay stuff down. If we are to pick up the cross, we, our hands can't be full of these other things. These other things that we chase after. This, this, this money, this approval of others. These things. We've got to lay those down. That's that self-denial. We've got to lay those down so that our hands are free to pick up this cross. We lay down the things we've acquired or lay down the things that we have the desire to acquire. We lay it down. And instead, we associate ourselves with Christ. We associate the one, ourselves with the one who suffered, who bled and died so that he could overcome. Remember, we've talked in the past weeks about his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Now, I want to make it clear. I want to make this very clear. Picking up our cross. When we are told to pick up our cross, what we are not doing is paying for our own sins. Okay? We don't pick up the cross in the same exact way that Christ picked up his cross. Christ has paid for our sins. He has done that, past tense. All right, my favorite verse, 1 Peter 3.18. Christ died for sins, past tense. Died for sins once. Once. He died once for all. For all sins. Okay? Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. For what purpose? To bring you to God. To reconcile you to God. Okay? Another one. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. For us. Do we get that? For us. God made him, Christ, who had no sin, made him to be sin for us. That's why he was on the cross, dying for our sin. Isaiah 53, 6, like we read last week, the Lord has laid on him, the Christ, on him, 
the iniquity or the sins of us all. Don't be mistaken. We are not bearing our sins when we are told to pick up the cross. He has done that one time completely. One more verse, verse I want to look at to, to remind us of that. Hebrews 10. It says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made for a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, okay, by a single offering, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, by that single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, those who are being set apart for him. So then why are we picking up our cross? If we are not bearing our own sins, why? Why are we told to pick up our cross? Isn't that what we associate the cross with? Is that the payment for sins? Why not instead use the language luggage, right? Pick up your luggage and follow Christ, right? Or your merit badge or, you know, what something like that. Why, don't, why not use that language? Because it's got to point us back to the cross. That's why. It's got to point us back to the cross. We have to remember the cross of Christ. It's because of his suffering on the cross that my burden is light. It's because of him. It's because of his death that I'm alive. It's because of his life that I'm then able to deny myself. Right? It's because of him. We cannot forget that. So we're told to pick up our cross. It's because of his victory on that cross that I can lay down all of my selfish ambition. And then I can have those free hands that I talked about earlier, those free hands to pick up my cross and to be tied with Christ as I walk by faith. The Christ follower's life is defined by denying ourselves, just like Jesus. Just like Jesus' life was defined by denying himself. Romans 12.1 says it this way, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore... I'm Yeah. 12.1 says, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Okay, this idea of a, a living sacrifice. Right? Not, a, not a dead sacrifice. God doesn't want us to kill ourselves. This is not a call to martyrdom in the way that Islam would call to martyrdom, where if you really want to guarantee you've got to kill yourself, this is different. This is a living sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice. We're to give ourselves as we live to Christ. And then we have this term here, the spiritual act of worship. It can also be translated, and maybe in some of your Bibles it has it worded this way, that, that it is a rational or a reasonable act of service. Reasonable. In other words, it makes sense. It makes sense that the child of God would give himself up as a living sacrifice. Again, not a dead sacrifice. Christ is that sacrifice. He's the sacrifice who died. But he was raised to life, and he's given us life in him, which we then turn back and give back to him. Right? He gives so that we can give in return. And that's what this call is. Back to Luke 9. Verse 24. I didn't, don't have the numbers there. Verse 24. 
says that whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You see the backwards, the backwards thinking that we have? Okay? Sometimes I've heard, I've heard the, the, the talk of, of the, the kingdom of God or, or talk about things like this where this upside down thinking. But then we take a step back and I go, wait a minute. My thinking is the one's upside down, right? This is the right side up. The right side up thinking is that in order that I may receive life, I must lay my own down. And it was portrayed in the Christ, death and resurrection of Christ as well for us. That story has been told and it is proven true. This is the biblical picture of a follower of Christ losing your life for the sake of Christ. Now here's, what, here's where we meet this distinction that in your sermon notes, if, uh, if, you, if you have sermon notes and are paying attention to them, they were in there last week. Uh, I didn't make it there. Um, so they're in there this week as well. And there's two terms. There's two terms in there. There's costly grace, cheap grace, and costly grace. Cheap grace and costly grace. Now these are terms, uh, they're from a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German pastor uh, around World War II. And in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he uses these terms. He talks about grace like this. So um, these two terms, one is, is not biblical, and the other makes much sense. And that's what we're reminded of here. Bonhoeffer, he had this concern, the same concern that, that I have and that I know that I share with many, this view of, of cheap grace that has invaded pulpits and churches in our day. I was actually talking to my grandfather this week and, uh, about something. He's, a, he's been a pastor for 50-some, 60-some years. I was talking to him this week, and he said, Ryan, I've, I've been, uh, he, there's a couple of guys that he watches on TV, and he said, I've been watching. And he said that when, when people come to the altar or when they come uh, you know, to, to, to pray with the pastor, he said, I've been noticing. There's not the tears that there used to be. There's not the brokenness that there used to be. And the term my grandfather used is it's this, it's this easy believism where you can just believe and just go on about your life. There's no brokenness for the sin. So this is how Bonhoeffer describes this cheap grace, or this easy believism. This is his quote. It says, Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessing with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. This is cheap grace. In other words, it's a view of grace that really contradicts Luke 9. Cheap grace says that I can have my cake and eat it too as long as it's got Jesus' name on it. It treats the grace of God like a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's just handed out willy-nilly, costing God nothing. Oh, church, this is not the grace that our Father has offered us. Is grace unearned? unmerited, undeserved by us? Yes, very much so. Very much so. 
Does, like Romans 6 says, grace abound where sin abounds? Yes, yes, very much so. But does grace have a cost associated with it? Yes, it does. The grace that the child of God receives is a grace bought. It is a grace bought on the cross by Christ. The grace that is offered so freely from a loving Savior. It comes with a necessary response. Okay, this free grace, it comes not with a, but you owe me something. It comes with a necessary response to it. And what is that necessary response? Remember Romans 12? The necessary response, the reasonable act of worship because of this free grace that we've been given is our lives. Our lives, living sacrifices. It's the necessary response to this amazing grace that we sing about. This amazing grace, this costly, costly grace. So this is how Bonhoeffer describes costly grace. So if it's not cheap grace, if this grace that, that we receive from Christ, although unmerited and although freely given, it's not free. So what is costly grace? This is Bonhoeffer's quote. It says, It is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin. And it is grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought with a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. You hear that? It is grace because God did not reckon his own son too dear a price to pay for your life and mine. But he delivered him up for us. It is a costly grace. Receive this grace. It is bought so that it can be offered. Don't assume that you can take up grace without also picking up the cross. You can't. Scripture is very clear. You can't have one without the other. Grace was not offered. Saving grace was not offered without the cross. Christ's cost was his life. And our cost, in response to what he has already done, right? In response, not in repayment for what he has done, but in response to what he has already done, it is the same price. Give up a life that honors you and yourself and your own desires, and instead, honor him. For he has redeemed you. And acknowledge that he is the one who has given you life. That's what this call is, to pick up your cross. 
How many of you have ever seen that show, The Biggest Loser? Is that, is that even on anymore? I don't even know. We don't have TV, so I don't really know. Okay, so, but you know of it if you haven't seen it. We used to watch it a little bit when it first came on. These folks would come in, and they want to lose a lot of weight, and they were willing to make the sacrifice to get it done, right? There are a lot of things uh, in common with the winners of the show or with the folks that did really well. But I think most of them share these two things, these two things specifically. Number one, daily practice. And number two, a good reason or a good motivation for doing it. They had this daily routine of workout, of eating healthy, getting yelled at by Jillian Michaels, right? This accountability. And they had a good reason for wanting to lose the weight. You know, some of them said, you know, my child worries that they're going to be without me in a couple years because my body is shutting down because I've, I've got too much weight on me. Or, um, you know, uh, what's some other examples? There, I thought I wrote down a couple. I don't only have one. Uh, <laughs> or or just, just the physical toll that the weight is, is, is making on my body, right? So they have these examples, these stories usually. Uh, that, the, that the show really draws out to make them really dramatic and stuff like that. But there's, there's these stories of why they're here. It's not just, not just, oh, I thought it'd be good to lose weight. They have a reason, right? A motivation, something that drives them to do that. This daily practice and this good motivation with the two of them together, it makes it a lot easier for them to endure, endure that season of rice cakes and juice fasts and push-ups and things like that, Right? It made it a lot easier to endure that. And it ended with better health. Well, we're told plainly here in verse 23 that this act of self-denial and picking up our cross is to be done daily as well. Right? We have a daily, this is a daily thing. This isn't a one-time thing. Right? We want to contrast that with this cheap grace that says all you have to do is one time come down here, tell us you're a Christian, and then walk away and you're it. Okay? No, there's a daily aspect to walking with God. There's a daily aspect of trusting Him. And we're also not left without the motivation either. Christ doesn't call us to suffer just for the sake of suffering. All right, folks, I, I, want, you, I want you to understand that. We're not just called to suffer just because, oh, it'll, you know, it'll be good for you. What doesn't, you know, what doesn't hurt you, make you makes you stronger. There's a bit of that, but it's not just for the sake of suffering. Suffering is not just for the sake of suffering. There is a goal to it. Verse 24 says that our lives will be saved by following him. You see, we're to look beyond the suffering. We're to look beyond the trials that come. We're to look beyond the shame of the cross. The earthly things that we're denying ourselves. We're to look beyond this and we're look to, to look to the saved life that it talks about in verse 24. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also, here's the deny ourselves, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, so that, so that, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here is our motivation. 
Why did Christ endure the cross? Why did Christ endure the cross? What does it say? For the joy. Right? For the joy set before him. He looked beyond the cross. He looked beyond the suffering. He looked beyond the spit that was getting, getting spit at him. He looked beyond that and he saw the joy. What joy? What joy is beyond all that? For Christ, it was the joy of being our Savior and reconciling us to himself. The joy of being our Savior. That joy that was set before him is greater than the suffering he endured. And he knew that. That's why he endured. And child of God, the promise is the same for you and for I, for me. Isn't it? Isn't the promise the same? To be with Christ for eternity. To be in fellowship with him, reigning with Christ in a new heavens and a new earth. These are promises of the child of God. This is the joy that's set before us. And I... If I, could, if I could make you believe that this joy was greater, I would. Because it is. This joy, Scripture tells us time and time again, this joy that we have set before us of, of being with, dwelling with Christ, dwelling with God for eternity, it is worth denying ourselves to earthly pleasures that will one day pass away anyways. It's worth it. It's worth it. The life of the Christian isn't a picture of lollipops and unicorns, right? <laughs> Thank you, Sadie. I appreciate that. The life of the Christian isn't that, isn't that just all joyous picture. In fact, when you get home today, Google St. Patrick. Right? Today's St. Patrick's Day. Google his life. Check it out, the real story. See if, his, see if he would describe his life that way. The life of the Christian isn't a picture of all that only good stuff. It is also a picture of suffering. The cross, the cross is pain, sorrow, curse, anguish. But, but it is also the means and the place for victory. It is the means and place for rejoicing, for triumph. It's great and it's beautiful, this grace. And it is costly. It is great and it is costly. So what is our practical application for us? What does this mean for us? How, do, how does this happen? Well, in one sense, it's pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, there's a simplicity to the gospel. I didn't say easy, but there's a simplicity to it. Give up your life so that you may gain life. Trust in Christ holy so that he may give you his spirit and the promises of eternity simple simple message we're not only to call him lord but we're also to submit to his lordship his reign over my life child of god what are you holding back today is there something that you are holding on to today where your hands are still full and you're not able you're not able to set it down so that you can pick up this cross. And so, because you aren't able to do that, instead of being associated with our crucified Savior, maybe you look, your life looks more like the world does. Maybe we're not seen as carrying our cross, but we're seen as 
holding on to the things of this world, just like the rest of the world is. Give it up. Child of God, give it up. Remind yourself, preach to yourself, surround yourself with those who remind you that the joy, the peace, the embrace of God that you need, that is set before you, is greater. It's greater than the things of this world. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. That's the call for you, child God. Some of you are here today, and you're trying to do the opposite of what Luke said there. You're actually trying to save your life. You're trying to make things better for yourself. You're trying to get your act together and just survive. Can I suggest that the best way to save your life is to lose it? Best way to save your life is to lose it? To hand it over to King Jesus, a good and a loving and a gracious king who gave himself on the cross to pay the debt for your sins. You feel like you need to clean up yourself before you come to God? Look at me. That's bullcrap. That's biblical language. It's bullcrap. It's a lie. It's a lie. You can't clean yourself up. You can't clean yourself up to the point of pleasing God. You can't do that. And you know that. And yet, you keep trying. You cannot clean yourself up to the point of pleasing God. He extends grace. He gives it. This costly grace that cost him his son, he gives it freely now. The Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait around for us to become not sinners because he knew that we couldn't do that anyways. We cannot clean ourselves up to the point where we become acceptable to God. God says, come to me, forsake those things. Come to me, I've created you. You are my child. This grace is more beautiful than anything we could chase after. So again, this marketing slogan, Jesus' call to sinners, call to sinners is come, die, and then by me live. That's the call. We sang last week, uh, when I survey the wondrous cross. That's how we finished last week. And the last verse of that, I love, puts it well, says, we're the whole realm of nature mine. If I own the whole realm of nature, we're the whole realm of nature mine that we're of present far too small because of his love so amazing so divine that it demands my soul, my life, my all. Deny yourself. Pick up the cross. Associate yourself with the Father. Let's pray.
Lord, these words, these words conflict with that old man. Lord, you, you, you tell us that we are a new creation in you, that the old has gone and the new has come. And yet that old man still tries to speak into our lives, still tries to, to, to reign in our lives. And God, these words are, uh, are, a, are an assault against that old man. They are in direct contradiction to, to me wanting to, this desire in me that wants to still have my cake and eat it too, as I follow you to still hold on to the things of this world. And you so simply and so lovingly say, there's no life in that. If you want to save your life, you're going to end up losing it. But if you will just give up your life for my sake, if you come to me, you say, then you will find it. Lord, the truth of this gives comfort in the hard days. <clears throat> or this daily act of giving up of ourselves. There's a battle. There's a battle for that. Lord, I pray that we would stand firm on this firm foundation of your word and remind ourselves, no, no, my God, the creator of the universe says, it is better that I give myself up then I hold, then hold on to these things. It is better. I trust him. Just as Aaron was saying this morning, my, my feelings, God, they deceive. They deceive. But your word is true. Father, I pray that you would, by your spirit, give us that hope in your word, that it is true. To stand firm on it. Your promises will never fade away. They will never be broken. God, you are an unchanging God. You, what you have said, you will do. What you have given, you give in grace. So, Father, we thank you for the grace. Especially in this time, Lord, where, where I, I know in my study, I've been, been focusing on the, the trial, the suffering, the, the weight of it. I'm thankful that this overriding message, even in all of that, which is very real, the overriding message is, because I love you. Because of grace. Because of mercy. I want you to take a minute, church, and just spend the time just talking to the Lord. Is there something that he's convicting you about, that you're just still holding on to. God, I'm going to try to carry the cross and this. He's just saying, no, no. There's no joy in that thing you're holding on to. There's no life in that. It's death. He says, come fully. Because I am more than able to fulfill all of your needs. So come. Just take a minute.
take a minute and, and just, just ask the Lord, God, what, what is holding me back? What is keeping me from the true joy that you say that I can have in you? Do business with him now. Lord, I'm thankful that you don't leave us alone. Spurgeon refers to you as the the hound of heaven. That you pursue us in your grace and mercy. I'm so thankful for that. And for those of us here who, who are knowing that and feeling that pursuing today, God, I pray that you would help us by your grace to step into full obedience because you are worth it. For those of us today who say, man, I just, I just really feel like, like I'm, I'm walking with the Lord today and I, and I feel like he's just shown me this already and, I, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm confident in who he is, then I pray God for the grace for tomorrow because it is a daily picking up the cross because it is a daily fight against not picking it up. So I pray for the joy tomorrow, that it would be real tomorrow, not just today. Tomorrow when I'm by myself in my bed before I, before I wake up, when I'm, when I'm in, with my own thoughts, God, that even then, Holy Spirit, you would remind me of the truth of the gospel, that you have come, you have bought me with a price, and I am yours, and it is better that, I, that it be that way. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth in it, God. I pray that we would be a people that trust in your word not in our own feelings that deceive. Holy Spirit, do that work in us. We need you. We give you all the praise and the glory. For you are worthy of that and so much more. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. yourself this week. Preach it to yourself. I'm not going to be there every day. That's a good thing. You don't want me there every day. Remind yourself with the word of God. Stay in it. Amen. You're